0: Would you turn your Bibles with me to the book of 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 is where we are focused on this morning. We're going to read from verse 1 to 6. But before we do that, I just wanted to quickly recap what we have covered so far in our month-long series titled, Lord, Give Us Eyes to See. Um, these, this, The title of this series is a play on words uh, spoken in scripture where it expresses the heart of the individual saying, God, I desire to have a perspective that doesn't come natural to me. I desire to have a perspective of you that is gained only through um, me making myself available to the Holy Spirit to work in my life, to speak to me through your word, and to help me to come to an understanding of not only who you are, but who you've called me to be and the purpose that you have for my life. So in the first week, we dealt with the issue of unrepented sin, and we identified the idea that... Many times when, we, when the enemy tempts us to give in to sin, to give in to desires or appetites that we know are unbiblical or ungodly, uh, that what he always does is he presents the pleasure that is gained from giving in to sin, but what he never presents to you and I is the pain that comes right after. But it's important for us to keep in mind that what always waits for us on the other side of our repentant sin is not God's best for us, nor is it in our best interest. It is not for your good or my good. So no matter how much the enemy might entice you and I to think that we will gain some pleasure or satisfaction from giving into sin, the reality is, is that on the other side there is pain and there is suffering. And God's desire is that you and I not just give ourselves headlong to those appetites and desires that we constantly crave, but that we are instead led by the Spirit so that we do not do that which does not please Him. So that's what we covered in week one. Last week we talked about uh, the ability to discern... Truth. Um, we looked at Jeremiah's um, um, words spoken against a group of individuals. Not, they don't give us names of these individuals, but we see the prophet Jeremiah point to individuals um, at a time in Israel and Judah's history who uh, used the platform that uh, where they were given to uh, essentially point the people away from God's purpose and plan for their lives, but they presented it as truth. And so we identified the idea that when it comes to our search for truth, our desire to know truth, to understand truth, and to apply truth to our lives, the responsibility of preserving, of knowing truth, doesn't only fall on the shoulder of the person who is speaking truth, but it also falls on your shoulder and my shoulder who are receiving truth. We must make sure that what we are hearing is, in fact, truth. There's a lot of messaging around the world today, even in the so-called Christian circles, that on the surface it sounds right. But when you dig deep, you discover that it is not rooted in Christ, but it is rooted in self. And it's important for us to have the spirit of discernment in being able to identify, God, is this something that you want me to embrace? Is this an idea that you want me to hold on to and to practice? Today, I want to deal with the issue of our focus Understand this morning that Satan's agenda is always to take us off our focus on Christ. You understand that? Uh, We are called to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Paul says he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. In other words, he's not not only the the founder or the originator of our faith, but he is the example, example that you and I look to for how we should follow after God. If we want to know how we are to live for God, live our lives in a way that honors God and pleases God, we must look to Jesus. There is no greater example for you and I other than Jesus Christ of who we are to be and how we are to live. And so Satan's focus is to always get us off of Christ and to get us onto other things. And so it's important for us to pay attention to uh, those that the effort that's, that, that the enemy will make to try to get us to lose our focus on God. And, and as I was preparing this message, I came across a very, very interesting um, experiment, if there's, there's a word I can give it, um, that, that apparently is being practiced by many police academies. Um, I can't give you all of them that practice this, but as I was reading this, I thought this is really funny. Um, and so I wanted to quickly share with you. So apparently, maybe you know this, maybe you didn't know this, but there are a lot of police academies throughout our country that are known to involve uh, rigorous physical and mental tests in their curriculum, and they do this because they want to ensure that all of their recruits are prepared for the harshness of life as an officer. I have a brother-in-law who is a, an officer with HPD, and you know, whenever he would talk about the 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 rigors of the job, it is a stressful job. Being a police officer is not an easy job, and so those who serve. our our communities, I have great respect for them. And I I pray daily for them that God will give them grace and strength to be able to deal with the stresses that come with their job. But the academy recognizes that it is a stressful vocation. And so they want to make sure that the officers are trained to be able to stay focused even when they're confronted with distractions. And so there was a recent Facebook post um, by One Indiana Academy that showed a less intimidating but no less, exercise, no less difficult exercise that is used to gauge recruits discipline of focus. And this was the challenge. They would have the recruits stand at attention and not break their intent focus in the midst of a particularly strong distraction. And guess what that distraction was? A rubber chicken. They would dangle that rubber chicken in their face or they put it beside their ear and the idea was that the officer, the recruit, had to stand at attention and just keep their eyes focused. And the, 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 the trainer would squeak that, that press that, that rubber chicken. I wish I had one so you could hear the sound it makes. It's very funny. But the idea was that as the, as the officer is pressing, or the trainer is pressing this, this, this rubber, rubber chicken, that that sound that it makes was meant to draw attention of the recruit so that how they failed was by laughing or by losing concentration. And so here it is, you have this video where it shows a series of tough-faced young men and women who are one by one tested by the abrupt and awkward noise of a rubber chicken being squeezed next to their ear or right in front of their face. And many of them passed the test. But many of them failed that test because they could not help but crack a smile or just bust out laughing. Again, because of the sound of that rubber chicken. And on the Facebook post, this is what what they titled the exercise, the chicken test, designed to test a cadet's demeanor, focus, and sense of humor. So again, think about this. A rubber chicken placed in front of an officer to see, would they be distracted by the sound or even the appearance of that rubber chicken? And, and you know, in, in, in a, on a more serious note, when I think about our walk with the Lord, and as I mentioned to you earlier Satan is in the business of distracting believers. He's in the business of keeping our eyes off of Jesus. He knows that we're called to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. His, His goal is to keep our eyes off of Christ. And he doesn't just do that with believers he does that with with anyone in general why because his desire is to steal to kill to destroy he does not want anyone to come to an awareness of of the blessing of knowing christ or the blessing of walking in relationship with jesus and so whatever he can do to turn people's attention or focus away from the lord he will do that and so because we know that this is his agenda because we know that he would not stop, he would not rest, he would not sleep from continually trying to distract us. It is important that you and I learn um, the tests, everybody say tests, to help you and I to stay focused even when we are surrounded by so much distraction. And can I tell you this morning, it's not easy. In the same way that one of those officers that probably failed that rubber chicken test would tell you, I just couldn't help it. You know, the, the appearance of that chicken, the, the squeaky sound of the chicken, just, it just made me laugh, it made me smile. I, just, I couldn't stay focused. In the same way Satan wants you and I to lose sight of who God is and what he has called us to do. So the question I want to ask this morning is this, and this is a introspective question, it's a rhetorical question also, but it's meant to serve to kind of help you and I to kind of get a sense of the direction that we want to go in the scripture we're reading this morning. And the question is this, What do you do when different doctrines are promoted by those who claim the same authority? What do you do when different doctrines, when different theologies, when different ideas are being promoted by those who claim to be serving, under, speaking for, or operating by the same authority? And again, as you look in the scripture we are about to read, the answer is simple. You test them. Everybody say test them. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, test them. And, you know, this, is, this message is really a, an extension of what we talked about last week. Remember, I shared, if you were here with us, uh, Paul referred to a group of people called the Bereans, a people who every time Paul says they would hear him preach or teach, would go back and compare what he had just said to them to the Scriptures. As much as they respected Paul, and yes, Paul was a respectable man. Now, he was not a perfect man, but he was a respectable man. He was a man of great influence, who spoke with great authority, the call of God in his life was absolutely clear without a doubt. And yet, even these believers understood that Paul is a man. Paul is a human being. And the only one who is flawless, who is infallible, is God. And so it was important for them to take what he said and go back and test it against the Scriptures to ensure that what Paul say is a true. And in the same way, you and I must do the same. We must test them. So last week we talked about... Um, you know, what What puts people in a position to where they fall easily to false teaching? Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the characteristics of those who uh, claim to speak for Christ, but yet they stand for something completely different. Now, before we read the scripture, let me just quickly say this morning, you know, many times I'll hear the question, Pastor John, what is the test of a true ministry? What is the test of a genuine ministry? Not everybody that says, you know, I speak for Jesus really is speaking for Christ. Do you understand that this morning? Um, You know, we we know throughout history of many, many even cult leaders who claim to be speaking for God, and yet they led people astray. Many times they led people to their destructive end. So not everybody that claims to speak for the Lord is from the Lord. Um, There are many who see in the opportunity to to represent, you know, the kingdom of Christ or or to, to have a platform where they are, quote unquote, speaking for Christ. They see it as an opportunity for gain, for personal gain. Whether it's to enrich themselves, whether it's to gain notoriety or popularity, uh, it's focused on self. But what's important is we must learn to look beyond uh, just what the world defines as success or a definition of true ministry. So before we read the scripture, I just want to make it clear this morning that there are several things that are not the only test of a true ministry. Number one, popularity is not the only test of a true ministry. There are many popular preachers who are not promoting Christ. There are many popular people who are not promoting Jesus. So popularity is not the only test. It is a test, but it's not the only test. Miracles, brothers and sisters, is not the only test of genuine ministry. Because I think sometimes there's an impression that, well, we see something happen that's miraculous and we think that must be God. Remember, in the Old Testament, when Moses was was performing all these miracles... The, 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 the prophets, the priests of Pharaoh were doing the exact same thing. Now, of course, they, they, came a, they came to a point where they couldn't duplicate what Moses was doing, but we saw them in, in instances where they repeated some of the things Moses did. So, you know, just looking at miracles, friends, is not the only true basis or test of a, of a, of a genuine ministry. Display of spiritual authority or power is not the only true basis or test of true ministry. We're going to see what the scripture tells us Is the test of true ministry so again if you have your bibles we're going to read from first john chapter 4 verse 1 through verse 6 the apostle john writes he says beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from god because many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the spirit of god every spirit that confesses that jesus christ has come in the flesh is from god And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and now it is already in the world. Verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. The one who knows God listens to us. The one who is not from God does not listen to us, for by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the main point I want to drive home this morning is this. You and I, it is important for us to note this morning, must be vigilant against those who use Christ as a platform, but yet they fail to live by his values. We must be on alert. We must be on guard. Again, I'm not suggesting this morning that you leave here critical about every preacher you encounter. No, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not saying develop this critical spirit where you're questioning everybody that that, that proclaims to, or claims to speak for Christ. But what I'm saying is there is a vigilance that is required. In other words, that as you and I are hearing that we are measuring in our minds, is this God speaking? Is this God's word? Is this aligned with God's word? Is this, is this, is, is the focus on Christ, or is this the, is the focus on self? So without getting ahead of myself, I want to challenge us this morning uh, with some flags, red flags, that I believe the Apostle John is pointing us to to help us to identify false teaching. I'm calling this the test of false teaching. And the first test is that that teaching fails to affirm what Christ revealed, what the scripture, excuse me, reveals about Jesus himself. In John chapter one, verse one through verse five and verse 14, we're gonna read John himself, one of the disciples right um, in reference to Christ. And he uses words to describe Christ, to suggest that he was more than just a, a, an ordinary person. Now, of course, You know, from that time, you know, where you had many in the religious establishment who did not believe that Christ was who he claimed to be, who didn't believe that he had the authority to do the things he was doing. Some even went so far as to even claim that the power by which he he did miracles was, was was from Satan, not from God. To this very day, there are many who have questioned and continue to question who Jesus is. And and it it ranges all the way from some who see that he was uh, just a, a good man, a man who had good teachings and good good ideas that he promoted, uh, but he but he, he he falls short of being God. To those who who on the other end see him as God, but refuse to acknowledge that he was ever that he was ever man. Um, and so it's this idea of 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 looking rather than to opinion or to people's. Perspective of what Christ could be to identify what does the scripture say about Jesus? Who is he and what is he like now? Of course um, for John when he mentioned what he mentions uh, In the verses that we just read at that time There were those who were claiming there was a group of, of so-called believers who were claiming that Jesus uh, the person Christ at His baptism think about this. This is crazy, right? at his baptism that when the Holy Spirit came down that that was when he became the Christ that was part of the idea that was being peddled back in John's time and so John had to address that that no listen anyone that claims or suggests that Christ is not fully God or fully man you ditch what they're telling you it's not one or the other he is both he was fully, he's fully man in that he was born he lived he died and he, and, he, and he rose again, and he is fully God, because no one else can claim to do the things that he did. No one else can, can, can replicate what he did. And the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, point to everything that Jesus did that he ultimately fulfilled during his 33 years here on earth. But I want you to hear what the Apostle John writes in John chapter one. This is how he describes Jesus. To paint for us this picture that he wasn't just man, he is God. He says, verse 1, in the beginning. Everybody say, in the beginning. That word in the beginning means that from the be- be- even before time began, the Word existed. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life and the life was the light of mankind and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not grasp it. Then you jump to verse 14. John writes, and the word became flesh. The word, the word that he described as existing before time began, the word that he describes as being with God and is God and is, is behind creation. That nothing exists that is, that, that is today that didn't come by his hand. He says, This word became flesh, and this word dwelt among us, and we saw his glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What was John trying to say? That Jesus is God. And any teaching that questions or causes him to question his humanity or causes him to question his deity, we must throw aside. Because it is not consistent with what the Scriptures teach us about who Jesus is. Again, in the same way that there were some who claimed that Jesus was just an ordinary man and that he became Christ when the Spirit came down again down upon me upon at his baptism, then there are others who want to claim that again Jesus is just a is just a figurative expression that he's not a physical flesh and blood Savior that he 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 he, he his his spirit or his 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 um. I guess his disposition was was expressed in the in, in the form of an individual who, who represented him to the world. No, none of these are consistent with what scripture teaches. So again, whenever you hear ideas or doctrines or teachings about Christ, go back to scripture does it line up with what scripture teaches? And if it does not, what do you do? You ditch it. Everybody say ditch it. You walk away from it, you turn it, you cast it aside because it is not truth. John teaches that the test of false teaching is that it must affirm what Scripture reveals about Christ, both in His humanity as well as in His deity. But not only is a failure to affirm the truth about Christ's nature a sign of false teaching, another sign of false teaching is that it does not profess faith alone in Christ's finished work on the cross. Again, there's the idea by some that uh, salvation is not only in faith in Christ alone, but that there are additional things that you and I must do in order to be saved. No, the Scripture teaches that there is only one way that you and I are saved. And that is by putting our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. In other words, we recognize that what Jesus did on the cross, He did, why? Because it was necessary. Humanity needed a Savior. But nobody in humanity was qualified to be Savior. Why? Because we all needed to be saved. And so the Bible says, when God, God took it upon Himself to come into our world, to demonstrate His love for you and I, so that by becoming flesh and blood and being able to identify with our humanity even though he was tempted Bible says Jesus never sinned he never gave into sin he never he never gave into temptation he became that perfect substitute for you and I why because it required the, 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 the life of one who is perfect who is sinless to stand in the gap for sinful humanity so the Bible teaches you and I that that faith, uh, faith you know, um, a, a relationship with the Lord's salvation comes only by us putting our trust in what Christ did on the cross and acknowledging that that alone is what was needed for us to be forgiven of sin, for our sin to be paid with God. And yet, in John's time, and even to this day, there are many who teach, who advocate this idea that it's not only professing faith in Christ, but that you must also do X, Y, and Z, or whatever it is that they subscribe that you must do in order to be saved. No. Now, I think probably the confusion sometimes comes in identifying the difference between faith and the evidence of faith. The evidence of faith is is our works, a changed life. But our changed life, the evidence of a changed life is is not what makes us saved. It is meant to point to the fact that we are saved, but it is not what saves us. So reading my Bible is not what saves me. Praying is not what saves me. Coming to church is not what saves me. The only thing that will save me is that I I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of of a savior and that Jesus is the only savior that I need. And I acknowledge him and I embrace him fully. Anything that that, that suggests that we we add to faith in Christ in order to be saved is is not biblical, friends. And we must learn to identify what is pointing to allegiance or trust to dependence on Christ and what is pointing to dependence on self. Again, it was no different from John's time as it is in our time. We must learn to apply that test of assuring that whatever we're hearing is teaching or pro- promoting a profession of faith alone in Christ's finished work on the cross. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for sins once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. Jesus is how we come through to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no man comes to the Father except through Him. At no point did Jesus ever say to you and I, we come through the, the Son, but then we also have to do X, Y, and Z. No. He says, it is only by faith in Him and in Him alone. Peter says, having been put to death, Jesus is referring to in the flesh, Christ was also made alive in the Spirit. So again, the test of false teaching is, not only that it must affirm the truth about Christ's nature, but it must also profess faith alone in His finished work. The third test is that whatever teaching we're receiving must have its priorities rooted in the idea of following Christ rather than in fulfilling worldly appetites and desires. I think I've shared this before. Many Several years ago, I, I came across a Facebook post. Uh, it, was, it was put on by a friend of mine on Facebook, and um, it's a Facebook friend, and it was in reference to a post by another preacher from somewhere in Africa. And this pastor was standing in front of a fleet of exotic cars, Porsche, Rolls Royce, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, just lined up behind him. And he's posing in his designer suit (laughs) in front of these cars, and the caption was, I pray the grace of cars on you. And of course, there were thousands of amen, amen. I receive it. This is gonna be my portion. I can't wait for my Ferrari, I can't wait for my Lamborghini, and I'm thinking, what nonsense. And I had to go on the page, and 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 the question I had to ask was: where in the scriptures did you hear God promises luxury cars? But that's the problem, is that many times, and we talked about this last week in the message, remember. The Bible teaches that there will come a time when people will only look for teaching that will tell them what they want to hear. Not what they need to hear, but what they want to hear. And when you have teaching that focuses on worldly appetites and, and desires, you know, whether it be wealth or, or prosperity, friends, that's not what Christ came for. Do you realize that, that, that the things that, that the world chases after, are not, they're not eternal, if, if, if Jesus came so that simply came to die so that you and I can be rich oh my goodness he, I'm telling you now he would not have had to die but he died because our need was greater than physical things our need was greater than cars or mansions or or, or robust bank accounts he came to save our souls he came to save us from the consequence of sin He came to be our substitute on the cross so that why you and I can discover the life that God desired for us to live in relationship with him. I'm not saying this point that God doesn't want to bless his people, but that's not what he calls us to focus on as our first priority. Our first priority is to focus on following Christ. In Luke 21 verse 34, listen to what Jesus himself says. He says, but be on your guard. So that your hearts will not be weighed down by dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. He says that we will, we will find ourselves feeling weighed down, bogged down by a desire to acclu- accumulate, to attain, to grasp all these things that the word says define success that will make us happy. But the reality is Jesus says none of those things will make us happy. We must be on our constant guard against this temptation to focus on, on, on the things that this world gives us rather than focusing on him. Because he says, this day, referring to the day of his return, he says, will not come on you, sudden, we'll you suddenly like a trap. The, the, the reality is, is you and I must be careful to ensure that we do not allow ourselves to get caught up in, in focusing on following Christ because of what I get from Christ. I remember I had a, I had a classmate that I, I shared the gospel with and his, in his mind, his expectation was that if I become a Christian, God's going to fix all the problems in my life. And when it seemed to if nothing changed in, this, in the sense of the problems going away, he walked away because he felt like it was either, um, you know, either, either God didn't want to save him because again, he quitted being saved with having a problem-free life or that his salvation didn't take. And my heart broke because I tried to tell him, Jesus didn't die so that you can have a problem-free life. He didn't die so you can have a stress-free life. That's not what he, that's not what he died for. He died to save us from sin. And, and, and I'm grateful that a that, 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 uh, 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 benefit of, of walking with the Lord is that I have a peace that, that he gives that is not based on what I have or don't have, what I've done or have not done. That I, I can engage every condition of life but i can do so with peace and joy knowing that god is with me that i have that assurance that he he walks with me and that he will always lead me into his perfect will but but again brother and sister be careful of of teaching that focuses simply on what you and i can gain in this life because here's the thing we didn't bring anything into this world we will not take anything with us when it's time for us to leave so if all we're focused on is what we will accumulate in this life friends we are focused on the wrong things jesus calls us to follow him That is where life comes. And again, any teaching that does not prioritize following him, but instead causes to follow or fulfill worldly desires and appetites, friends, it is not of God. And here's the last test. John shows us that the heralds, those who promote false teaching, typically are the ones who will do the opposite of what they tell others to do. One of the things that Paul was known for is that he would always encourage believers to follow him, even as he was following Jesus. He made that clear. He said, do not follow me if I'm not following Christ. Why? Because part of the controversy was, and this was in his letters to the church of, in Corinth, First and Second Corinthians are two very powerful books I would encourage you to read if you can in its entirety. Paul was dealing with a group of believers who were facing a great deal of division. Why? Because there were some in the church who were saying, well, I'm for Paul. And some were saying, I'm for Apollo. Some were saying, I'm for Jesus. And then others probably were saying, I'm for whomever. And Paul was saying, Christ did not die so that there could be division in his body. Paul said, I didn't convert you to follow me. I converted you to him. I preached a gospel of salvation in Christ through Christ alone, not not in me. So if you're focused on a person that just like you needed a savior, you're focused on the wrong person. Paul is saying, we must look to Christ. So again, any, any teaching that focuses on the individual or, or calls you and I to focus on a person, friend, and not on Christ, friends, is not for us. But, but more importantly, we must learn to look at the lives of those who speak. Do they talk a good talk? But then they do the opposite. The Pharisees and Sadducees were notorious for the Jesus, called them out often. He said, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're here, you're, you're telling the people what they must do, but, but in the privacy of your own lives, you're doing the opposite. It's important for us to realize that that it's not not enough for a person to speak, but you have to look at their lives. And I'm not suggesting this morning that that the people we listen to must be perfect. If you're expecting me to be perfect, you're going to be waiting. Not perfect. In the same way that I'm not expecting you to be perfect. Christ doesn't call us to be perfect, but what he calls us to is to be faithful. Faithful to him, faithful to what he has called us to do, what he has called us to be in him. So again, the goal for every believer, me included, is to become more and more like Christ. It's not to live up to some image that people may have of what the ideal person looks. No, it's to, it's to emulate Christ. And knowing that even though I don't get it right all the time, but that as I continue to pursue Christ, He is changing my life. And not just me, He's changing your life as well. That's what a watching world needs to see. That because, of that because you and I have a relationship with Christ, that that relationship makes a difference in your life and in my life. And, and I think too often, part of the reason why there are many believers who are disenchanted with, let me just put it this way, disenchanted with, with church or with dis, disenchanted with Christianity is because in their mind they think, this person that claimed to speak for God failed me. They disappointed me. They did not live up to my expectation. They did not live up to the standard that I believed or I felt that they should have. We forget that they're people. Again, not to justify sin, but we forget that they're people. And that ultimately, whatever we do in following them should ultimately be about following Christ. When a person says to me, PJ, I'm walking away from the church because the church is full of hypocrites, I say to them, are you perfect? Because... If you're looking for a church where there are no hypocrites, where, if you're looking for a church where there are no people who are struggling, who are working out their salvation with fear and trembling, you're going to keep looking to, to, for, to, for eternity. You're never going to find a, a, a place where, you, where people are perfect. But the goal is, are you in an environment where people desire to walk with the Lord, a desire to know Him more, a desire to go in a deeper relationship with Him? That's what we are aspiring to. Are, are you tracking with me this morning so, so when, when, it, when it comes to the, the, the teachings that we're receiving, we must ask ourselves the question, the person who is, who is standing before me and, and sharing and preaching or teaching, are they living lives that, are, that, that honor Christ? Again, yeah, you may not, you may not know everything that's going on in their lives, but at least what you do know, do they, do they speak truth? Is there integrity? Is, is there honesty? Is there humility? Is there an openness and a willingness to be transparent about their own struggles? Their their, their own pursuit of Christ and how they don't always get it right and how they're seeking to to know Christ better and better and to become more and more like Him or are they presenting themselves as this image of perfection? But yet in the privacy of their lives, they're they're the opposite. What John was saying to the believers, I believe is saying to you and I, we must, we must have our focus on the right things so that we are not distracted by the wrong things. Again, we must be vigilant against those who use Christ as a platform but fail to live up to his values. I'll tell you this, preparing this series has been hard for me because every time I am preparing a message, I'm asking the Lord, is there something in me that you, that you need to call out? And, and, and I have to make myself available to the Spirit and say, search my own heart because I don't want to ever stand before God's people and almost suggest that I have it all together as if it is, it is the ones that are recipients of what I'm saying that are the ones that need to work on, on, on their own lives. No, we're we all a work in progress. But what I love about the body of Christ is that we can encourage each other as we walk together. Not expecting perfection from you, don't expect perfection from me, but be assured that as is within my power, within my ability, I want to come alongside you and to encourage you and to challenge you, and to speak life into you. But you know what? I also need the same. I need the same from you, because it's about sharpening each other. We are walking together with Christ, and our desire is to know Him. Our desire is to walk in relationship with Him. Our desire is that nothing would cause us to lose our focus on Him. And it's as much my responsibility to make sure that I stay focused, brother and sister, as it is your responsibility to help me stay focused. And it's my responsibility to help you stay focused. We need each other. Lord, help me to have eyes to see. That must be our prayer every single day. God, help me to stay focused on you. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, I want you to know everything I've said would not matter if you've not first addressed the issue of whether or not your heart is right with God, because that is the prerequisite. My, 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 my old pastor, who has since gone to be with the Lord now, uh, he used to say when I was growing up, he says, God is a gentleman. God will not force you. He will invite you. He stands at the door of your heart and my heart, and he knocks. And he wants us to open the door. So that in doing so, one, we do so because we recognize, God, I need you in my life. I don't want to just know about you. I don't want to just know you from a, from a distance. God, I want to know you intimately. I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to be the center of my world. I want you to change my mind. I want you to change my heart. I want you to change every aspect of my being. I want a relationship with you. I want to be different. I don't want to just be religious, but I want my life to demonstrate that I know Jesus and that he has made a difference in my life and he continues to make a difference in my life. But that's not a choice I can make for you. You have to make that choice yourself. And it starts by acknowledging that you are a sinner, that you are born into sin. The Bible says that our, what, we, what we deserve for our sin is condemnation, is separation from God. But God loved you and I too much to let us remain separate from Him. What did He do? He sent His Son, Jesus, into this world. Jesus came. He gave his life ultimately on the cross to pay your sin debt and my sin debt so that when we put our trust in him, we call on his name, he will forgive us, he will save us. He will bring us into a relationship with him that would change us. Brother and sister, I have never regretted following Christ. I have never regretted following Jesus because there is no greater decision that I will ever make that that has more eternal ramifications than that one decision. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you can know Him today. It's not a decision you make begrudgingly. It's not a decision you make out of fear. It's a decision you make recognizing God, my place is with you. My place is with you. And I want to know You. Call on His name today, He will save you. Invite Him into your heart, He will come in, and He will live in you, and He's going to change your life if you let Him.